0: And I think about this all the time. If I have to spend the rest of my life in prison for a crime I didn't commit, I need the world to know what happened and how it happened.
1: Snow Fives, Season 2, Episode 29, Bad Blood. The mission of the Snow Files podcast is to expose the misconduct of the state's attorney's office under Charles Renard. It is not our intention in any way to disparage the current state's attorney's office or the Bloomington Police Department.
0: David, you can look him up on FreeDavidDooran.com Maggie Freeling is doing a podcast about him on Murder and Alliance podcast, so y'all can check that out. You know, and I also want to give a quick thank you to uh, Beverly Knight. She made a one-time donation to what we're doing and we really appreciate it. We appreciate all of you, you know. It'd be hard for us to do this without the help that we get from you guys, so believe me, um, every bit of it matters and helps so thank all of you for uh, all that you do to help get the word out about my case and to help us have the ability to keep telling the story so thank you it's time to do our drawing for the murder and alliance folks i really want to thank everybody that's that joined in i'm really encouraged by uh so many people's interest in what we're doing and I I really hope that you guys will continue to share our story. What I've done is I've written everybody's name down on a piece of paper and I've stuck it in a hat and I'm just going to reach in and and I'm going to pull a name out. So... Alright, I've got a piece of paper. Let me open it up. So, the winner of this contest is going to be Johnson. Woo! Work
1: Becky
2: is from Hobart, Indiana.
0: on a little bit is the testing of the blood in the case, right? There's such a huge question mark about this whole
1: issue, and and Tammy and and Bruce and Leslie are going to have to really dig into
0: it and give you guys a much better picture of it than I can. You know, I just want to give you some of my own thoughts. They found blood on the floor, and there was blood found on a shelf. We don't know whether they collected the blood. Uh, We know they I would be completely and totally shocked that the Illinois State Police wouldn't, first off, as an investigative tool or technique, test the victim's blood against the blood that was found at the crime scene to see whether or not they were the person that... judge's order, when the lab technician opened the box up, the sample was gone. Exhibit 2 was gone. And what we've been trying to do is get the court to grant us some sort of discovery on this because we want to know where did you, you know, what what ended up happening was then then the Bloomington Police Department says, well, you know what, we found another piece of Exhibit 2 and it's been labeled Exhibit 2A and, and we'll test that. Right, and of course, surprise, surprise! This new exhibit turned out to be a match for Bill Little. The problem with that is this: in anticipating filing a motion for DNA testing long before I'd even gotten the exoneration project to represent me, you know, I've read hundreds of cases on filing DNA cases. I've read hundreds of them, and I have never, I have never ever read a case where they just all of a sudden pull a new exhibit from the crime scene out of thin air that had never been labeled. It just, it just popped up. So this exhibit 2A, we, we have no—we we really have no idea where it came from. I mean, we're, we're being asked to just, what, take the state's attorneys and the Bloomington Police Departments, just take them at their word that there's nothing uh, nefarious going on with this sample. I'm sorry. When you look at everything that we've given you guys up to this point, i don't think they get the benefit of the doubt anymore there's almost ten thousand dollars worth of reward money missing in this case that nobody seems to know what happened to it A detective that was involved in this case that has a history of paying money out under the table witnesses given deals and then told the lie about it i mean the list goes on and on and i mean are we supposed to now just all of a sudden believe that because this, we're dealing with dna here they're being on the up and up and, and transparent? I don't think so. And that's the problem. What they ended up testing, we don't know where it came from. And that's why we need a little bit of discovery. Something else that we found out that is is a huge red flag is when we got the judge's order and they sent the sample to the Illinois State Crime Lab. I mean, it's a simple DNA test. You've got my swab of my mouth on a Q-tip. You've got Bill Little's blood standard. And you've got the exhibit. It's a straightforward, simple DNA test. But the the lab technician at the Illinois State Police calls the detectives on the case to learn the particulars about the case. And that's just, we've never been able to understand why they would do that. I mean, it was our motion. I wonder why they didn't call our attorneys and find out what the particulars of the case was. So, it's just really suspicious, you know, the, the, the whole thing that, that that was going on, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping that Judge Escapa is going to say time out, hit the reset button, and say, wait a minute, we have to find out what's.
1: In 1983, Fia Roja Dagenpour, a University of Nebraska Omaha student from Iran, was found murdered by a couple who was fishing under a bridge outside of Council Bluffs, Nebraska. She was found nude and beaten with her throat slashed, surrounded by her clothing. Also found at the scene were notebooks, papers, a beer can, pens, and a left-handed work glove. Blood testing on Fiorosha indicated her blood was type O. Most of the items with remnants of blood also tested positive for type O. However, nine of the items found at the scene tested positive for type A human blood. News reports from 1983 emphasized Fiorosha's public opposition to the Ayatollah of Iran and referred to the intelligent double major as a feminist. Friends also speculated they thought it might be a political murder, but investigators dismissed that theory, stating it looked very much like an abduction or a rape and murder. The case went cold, but the evidence was preserved in case new information came to light. It wasn't until November of 2020 when a friend of Dagenpore contacted the sheriff's office and asked them to take another look at a previous suspect. Detectives did so, but found the person had a solid alibi for that evening. At that time, detectives realized there was evidence in the case that may benefit from DNA analysis and sent several samples to the Iowa DCI for testing. In March of 2021, investigators are notified a blood stain on the glove matched Bud Christensen, whose DNA was in the system for previous sex offenses in Nebraska. At that time, they compared two fingerprints also recovered from the crime scene that did not belong to Fiorosa, They also matched Christensen. On April 30, 2021, nearly 40 years after the crime, Bud Christensen was arrested and charged with the murder of Fiorosia. This is only one of many cold cases that have been solved by DNA testing of blood left at the crime scene. Of course, in those cases, the state vigorously pursued DNA testing because they didn't have anyone locked up for the crime. It's quite a different story when somebody has already been convicted. As Jamie always says, if the murder of Bill Little would have happened today, they would have tested every single piece of physical evidence to find the killer. Instead, they resist testing and have done so for nearly a decade now. When Tara Thompson from the Exoneration Project took on Jamie's case in 2008. They almost immediately filed a motion to test the blood for DNA that was found on the floor. In the motion, the exoneration project saw testing of blood found at the scene of the crime, bullets recovered from the victim's body, clothing of the victim, and fingerprint lifts. But today, we're focusing on the blood evidence. And as usual, you're going to end up with more questions than answers. But first... Let's just recap what we know from previous episodes. Both the paramedics and Officer Paul Williams noted seeing blood on the shelf. There is no documentation that the blood on the shelf was collected. There was no evidence or notation of blood on Bill's shirt. In fact, Officer Paul Williams did not know Bill was shot until he opened his shirt and saw bullet wounds on his chest. The medical examiner stated that Bill bled internally. The medical examiner also examined Bill's entire body, noting a big knot on his forehead and multiple bruises on his forearm, but no lacerations or open wounds were discovered on Bill's body. It does not appear that the blood on the shelf and floor came from Bill, so where did it come from, and why wasn't the blood on the shelf ever collected? Now, we also know that on April 3rd, 1991, the ISP received Exhibit 2 swabbing on the floor, and Exhibit 3, control swabbing on the floor, used as unstained control for Exhibit 2. A control swab is a sample taken from an unstained area to see if DNA that is found on the stained area is also found on the unstained area. The test attempts to see if the DNA was there before the event occurred. Now we're getting into the essential details. On April 23, 1991, and this is very important, the ISP produced the test results. Exhibit number two, swabbing on the floor findings, human blood identified. Exhibit number three, control swabbing of floor, used as unstained control for exhibit number two. Exhibit number nine, blood samples of Bill Little, ABO equals O. Lewis equals LE A negative, L E B positive, indicates secretor in ABO. Conclusion. At such time as known whole blood samples from the suspects are submitted, the possible source of the bloodstains located on the evidence may be determined. This is a critical point in the upcoming arguments over the testing of the blood sample obtained from the floor. The ISP knew in 1991 that the blood sample did not match Bill Littles. They typed his blood. They identified the blood on the floor as human blood why would they differentiate it if the blood on the floor matched the victim? The first thing to do would be to rule out the victim as a source for the blood on the floor. This is further corroborated by the note at the bottom of the report, which states that if blood samples from suspects are submitted, the possible source of the blood stains Exhibit 2, may be determined. To make this crystal clear, they are saying in April of 1991, after the testing, that they were unable to determine the source of the blood from Exhibit 2. Okay, so now we fast forward to 2008. The Exoneration Project filed their DNA motion on September 2, 2008. Five days later, on September 7, 2008, records manager Pamela Dunlap created supplements to add property ID labels. Three days after that, on September 10, 2008, Pamela Dunlap creates more labels, documenting.
2: Documents scanned into EJS reference checkout of all evidence pertaining to this case except 110267979, which was deleted in order to create four separate property ID numbers 110268075, 110268076, one one oh two six eight oh seven seven and one one oh two six eight oh seven eight.
1: Pamela goes on to document in the report.
2: All items were checked out to ASA Bill Workman, gone through the BPD's lab while I was present and returned to me.
1: Shortly after the DNA motion was filed in the court, McLean County Assistant State's attorney Bill Workman checked out all of the evidence That same day, the labels were all changed again. Is it a coincidence that this occurred 8 days after the DNA motion was filed by the Exoneration Project? Let's look a little deeper. The new evidence labels were created with multiple SUP prefixes for supplements, and all with the label prefix 1102. 68075, SUP number 2, swab of blood from floor. 68076, SUP number 2, control swab of floor. 68077, SUP number 2, head hair standard of victim. 68078, SUP number 2, blood and urine, blood standard of victim. 86340, SUP number 4, buckle swabs of James Christopher Snow, exhibit number JCS-1. Then with prefix 1103 for the following supplements. 11056, SUP number 10, blood stain card from William Little, ISP EX number 9A. 11057, SUP 10, blood swabbing from Floor, ISP EX number 2. So this is curious. So many questions. Why were the supplements numbered differently? What is the difference between supplements number 2, 4, and 10? Why are there two labeled blood swabs from the floor? When did Bill Little's blood sample become number 9A instead of number 9? And why is Jamie's buckle swabs in a different succession and labeled supplement number 4? As we move down through the reports, and we must mention, we're not known to Jamie and were primarily obtained. Through Freedom of Information Act requests, we see May fifth, two 2009, that Patrol Sergeant Daniel Donath creates a quite lengthy entry about his acquisition of Jamie's DNA. Incident Narrative 4, May 14, 2009, Supplemental Reporting, Patrol Sergeant Daniel Donath, Bloomington Police Department, ID 5430. On May 13, 2009, I was attending a training class at Heartland Community College in Normal, Illinois. I was contacted by McLean County Assistant State's Attorney, Bill Workman, and asked to collect buckle swabs from James C. Snow, who was in the custody of the Illinois Department of Corrections, but was currently at the McLean County Jail. I drove to the Bloomington Police Department and collected the supplies necessary to collect the buckle swabs. I drove to the McLean County Jail. I met with Mr. Snow in the booking area. There was at least one attorney representing Mr. Snow present. I explained to Mr. Snow how to collect the buckle swabs. With gloved hands, I opened a new, sealed by the manufacturer, package of two cotton-tip swabs. Mr. Snow swabbed the inside of one cheek with one swab. He put it in a new cardboard box. Mr. Snow swabbed the inside of the other cheek with the second swab. Mr. Snow put the second swabbing in a separate new cardboard box. I put both cardboard boxes in a new manila envelope. This concluded my contact with Mr. Snow. I returned to the Bloomington Police Department. I locked the buckle swabs in Bloomington Police Department evidence locker number 16. I maintained custody of the locker key. On May 14, 2009, I retrieved the buckle swabs from the Bloomington Police Department evidence locker number 16. These buckle swabs shall hereafter be referred to as exhibit JCS-1. I labeled the cardboard boxes for identification purposes. I sealed the Manel envelope containing exhibit JCS-1 with red evidence tape. I signed my seals with my name, ID number, and the date. I created an evidence label for Exhibit JCS-1. I affixed the evidence label to the manila envelope. I wrote on the envelope, BPD, Case Number C91-2150, ISP, Case Number P91-000751. These case numbers represent the original case numbers from the incident in 1991. I transferred Exhibit Number JCS-1, to BPD Crime Locker A, in anticipation of direction by the state's attorney's office. And we say all that to ask, wasn't an evidence label one one zero two eight six three four zero 86340 sup number 4, buckle swabs of James Christopher Snow, exhibit number JCS-1, created on September 7, 2008? Donath is explicit about what he named the sample. JCS-1, which is the same name of the James Snow Buckle swab exhibit created in September of 2008. But the biggest question is, why were they taking another DNA sample of Jamie when they already had one on file in 2008? If you enjoy Snow Files, please give us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This will help Jamie's story get out to the masses Visit snowfiles.net and click on rate show. And while you're there, leave us a voicemail that may be used on the show and check out our cool snowfiles merch. But wait, there's more. On June 24, 2009, after much back and forth, a DNA testing order was filed. But all other items were off the table, and the only item to be tested was the blood swabbing obtained from the floor. But the order had a typo on the second item. The following items now in the custody of the Bloomington Police Department. Number one, blood samples of William Little, identified as Exhibit 9, associated with B. Number two, swabbing of floor, identified as Exhibit 9, associated with B. Both samples in the order were identified as Exhibit 9, Bill Little's blood sample. It was later stated by agreement. Attorneys on both sides identified the samples. We have not seen this agreement, nor do we know when it happened. However, we do see in the next record that on July 6, 2009, Patrol Sergeant Dan Donath documents that he obtained Exhibit 9, 2, and JCS-1 from the BPD Records Division and transfer the two exhibits to BPD Crime Locker A in anticipation of the transfer to the ISP. Recall, number 9 is Bill Little's blood sample, number 2 is the blood swab from the floor, and JCS-1 is the buckle swabs from Jamie Snow. A month later, on August 6th, Donath reports that he retrieved bloodstained cards submitted by Detective Mathewson on October 11, 2006, with a reference to the supplement report number 3. Donath documents that he received a court order indicating the bloodstained card was to be submitted to the ISP for follow up work. He states he found the blood stain card and removed it, and then transferred the card to the BPD crime lab, Locker A, in anticipation to transfer to ISP Crime Lab. He states he resealed the original box with red evidence tape and signed the seals with his name, ID, number, and date. He then transferred the box back to personnel in the Bloomington Records Division. We've not seen an October 11, 2006 report from Mathewson. And the only bloodstained card is the sample from Bill Little, 9A. Was that the sample that was transferred to Locker A? We do, however, have a report from Detective Matthewson, who states on August 11, 2009, he transferred the following sealed exhibits from the BPD crime lab evidence storage to the ISP lab in Morton. Exhibit number two sealed box with swab of blood from floor near counter. Exhibit number 9A sealed envelope containing blood stain card from William Little. Exhibit number JCS 1. Sealed Envelope Containing Buckle Swabs from James Christopher Snow. A status hearing was held on September 1, 2009, as referenced in a September second article in the local paper, The Panagraph. Assistant State's Attorney Bill Workman said Tuesday that blood stored in a vial for 18 years has dried up and cannot be used for testing. A sample of the blood stored on cardboard will be submitted to the state crime lab, along with other items for DNA testing. The headline in that article is, DNA testing in Snowcase faces delay. Blood stored in vial dried up. New sample sent off. Okay, when is blood too old to test for DNA? And why did workmen say the blood was too old to test? We've not seen any reports stating any issues with the age of the blood. In a September 3, 2009 ISP report from the Forensics Division, the technician noted that she received the four swab blood sample from the case. But when the box is open, she notes it was empty. She also noted two seals were present. So the glaring question is, how did Bill Workman know, three days before the ISP tech discovered the sample was missing, that there was any issue with the sample? Why were there two seals present? On October 8, 2009, a memo from ISP forensic technician Jennifer McRitchie summarizes a conversation she had with Detective Barkus.
2: Spoke with Detective Barkus to learn details about the case. This is a post conviction case. Detective advised that the victim, William Little, was fatally shot while working at a gas station on Easter Sunday in 1991. Defendant James Snow was convicted in 2001 and is petitioning for a new trial. A group of law students from Chicago examined the case and requested DNA testing on a blood stain collected from the scene. Only Castle Meyer and Octorlone testing have been done on the stain. They wish to see if the blood stain reveals a DNA profile foreign to the victim or suspect, which could suggest someone else present and possibly associated with the crime. A judge granted permission to have the blood stain tested using STR
1: analysis. In a memo to her superior dated September 18, 2009, forensic technician Jennifer McRitchie noted that Dan Donath had called that morning and stated he found Exhibit 2 swabbing for blood counter, noting this is the case that Pam M. worked on in 1991. And when she opened the question stain, it wasn't there. McRitchie was asking how to label the new exhibit when received. They instructed McRitchie to label it 2A. On September 25, 2009, Detective Donath documented the following. I transferred a small sealed envelope containing ISP Exhibit 2, remaining portion of blood swab from blood from floor near counter, and Exhibit Number 3, the control, from BPD Crime Lab Locker A. I had received this envelope from BPD Records Division. The swabbing and control were originally packaged by the BPD, but had been repackaged by the ISP Crime Lab in a small envelope. The ISP Lab had called and indicated the package previously transferred to them by Detective Mathewson was empty, and they had repackaged it and previously returned it to us in the new packaging. We've not seen any documentation that states the ISP had repackaged the sample prior to this time. The final result, a human DNA profile, was identified as Exhibit 2A, which matches the DNA profile of William Little, and does not match the DNA profile of James Christopher Snow. This profile would be expected to occur in approximately 1 in 1 quintillion black, 1 in 56 quadrillion white, are 1 in 36 quadrillion Hispanic unrelated individuals. And that's the real story of blood sample 2A. So when you see or hear indignant statements from McLean County State's Attorney's Office, or anyone else screaming that the DNA has been tested and that it matched Bill Little, please inform them that the only test ever performed in this case is on sample 2A, which was a train wreck. Or better yet, point them to Snow Files Podcast, Episode 29, and let them hear the truth for themselves. We invite any witness featured on the Snow Files Podcast to come on the show to give their point of view, or to clarify anything that they think might have been misstated.
2: Thirteen years ago, the exoneration project filed in motion for DNA testing. They asked for blood, fingerprints, bullets, and clothes to be tested, and they were willing to foot the bill. In 2009, McLean County only agreed to test one item, the blood sample from the floor, and it miraculously matched the victim, despite the fact that there were no open wounds on Bill Little. Now we know the sample tested was seemingly pulled out of thin air, and for 13 long years, McLean County has used taxpayer dollars to fight testing of evidence they collected themselves in 1991. If you have information that may help Jamie, please call the tip line at 888-710-SNOW. There is a $10,000 reward for any information leading to a new trial or the exoneration of Jamie Snow. The tip line is free and confidential. In this episode... We learned about a 40 year old cold case murder that was solved in 2021 by detectives who used new technology to test blood evidence on a work glove, leading to a known sex offender. To corroborate, they once again tested two fingerprints that were found at the crime and found they matched this same sex offender. There were multiple fingerprints collected at the crime scene of Bill Little's homicide, but they have not been tested since 1991 now know that more fingerprints were collected than what was presented at trial. Where do these additional fingerprints come from? That's next time on Snow Files.